Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. We're in the middle of our series called God and Culture, all for the month of August. And this series is all about understanding that God is still God regardless of the culture that we live in. Because sometimes we can feel like God is a little bit outdated in our world today. Sometimes we're like, it's 2022. Like, does God still apply? Does, does the Bible that was written thousands of years ago, does it still have any influence? Should it still have any influence or impact in my life? Or is it, is it just so outdated at this point that there isn't as much or... We have all these questions that can kind of come in to this. And a lot of times, our culture would would say and would suggest that we are so advanced that we're kind of past some of this stuff, that that we're kind of past this whole God thing. And we've got technology. Man, you guys are the best. I really, yeah, I really appreciate you guys doing that. All right. (laughs) It wasn't mine. (laughs) Hey, give, give Rick and George a hand for me for jumping in. Thank you, guys. <laughs> uh, but we're, as we're talking about our culture today, sometimes we just feel like eh, we're kind of beyond some of the things that we talk about in, in church. Does God still matter is really the question. So Pastor Tara kicked off our series two weeks ago by talking about the fact that we are living in this world And we are not supposed to be of this world, but we also can't hide from this world. We're kind of at a place where it's like sometimes we we, we can get so concerned and so worried of like, ah, how involved in the world can we be? Because obviously we are living in this world. Obviously we are living in this culture. How involved can we be? But also what sort of influence or impact should we have? And there's all these questions that come alongside of it. Last week, we talked about the different views that people have of Jesus and how a lot of times they can be totally inaccurate. We view Jesus as Santa Claus or we view Jesus as like a genie just granting us wishes or we view Jesus at whatever perspective that you have that you grew up with based off of your experience. And, and we, we talked about last week the reason why Jesus came because he told us. He was honest. He didn't, he didn't hold back. He said, I came to serve, not to be served. So if you missed any of those, you can go back on our YouTube page and, and, and check them out. But today I want to talk to you about a word that, that theologians and pastors often use. And when I, I realize starting off a sermon like that, it can be like, oh, this is going to be a snooze fest. So I hope that it, you don't feel that way. Uh, but uh, a lot of theologians and pastors use this word contextualization. And basically what this word means is that it can simply be defined as this. Communicating the gospel in a way that, is, that makes sense and is relevant to people in a particular place. Contextualization. Taking this Bible that we have, talking about Jesus, but communicating it in a way that people can understand it. I don't know if you've ever like said, you know what, I'm going to start reading the Bible. And then you pull out your old King James Bible and you're like, this is in a different language. And I don't know what it is saying. And it's so outside of my view. Now, there are a lot of people who think that the King James Version is the only version of the Bible that you should ever read, and those people are wrong. So if that is you, 
you're wrong. But we could talk about that <laughs> separately. I don't, I don't have anything against it. It's just not the only version. Some people believe if you don't read the King James Version, then you're not reading the Bible. And I don't know if those people realize that the original Bible was not written in King James, but it was written in Greek and Hebrew. So that's a whole other conversation that we don't have to get into today. But in other words, how do we make the gospel easy to understand for the culture that you are in? That's what contextualization is. We believe that, that the truth of the gospel transcends culture. We believe that it goes beyond culture. We believe that culture is changing and will always be changing as people are living on this earth. But the gospel of Jesus is still relevant regardless of the day that it is, regardless of the year that it is. The truth of the gospel is always the same, and it can always have an impact on any culture. For example, when we do this thing called contextualization, we just speak to people differently about the same truth but in different ways based on where you are. A good example of that is downstairs, we, most of the time, we have our children downstairs. Sometimes we have our kids upstairs with us, but we have our children downstairs. Why do we do that? Because we are trying to communicate the gospel. It's not just to give you a break as a parent. I mean, that's a bonus. I get it, right? That's, that's good. But it's, the reason why we have a kids' ministry is not for babysitting for you for an hour. It's so that they can learn the gospel in a way that is relevant to them in a way that impacts them. We aren't just throwing the kids downstairs and saying, here's a ball, and we just close the door and just lock it, lock it and say, hope you're okay, we'll check on you in an hour. No, we are communicating the gospel to them, but in a way that children can understand. And that same truth that we communicate downstairs, we also communicate up here. And we do it in a way that hopefully is relevant to you in your particular place as an adult in Howard County, Maryland, or Carroll County, Baltimore County, wherever you're from, and we're trying to communicate in a way that is easy for you to understand. And this is extremely important. We have to know the audience that we are speaking to, and that's why we have different types of ministries in our church, because everybody learns in different ways. We have kids' ministry, which I already talked about. We have a youth ministry that focuses on teenagers. We have a men's ministry. We have a a women's ministry, we have a softball ministry, as I already talked about. We have a care and outreach ministry. We have a discipleship ministry. We have community groups, and we have more than that. And it, isn't, it doesn't have to just be limited to that. Any way that we can communicate the gospel that impacts other people, sign us up. That, that's what church is. That, that's what this is all about. And this doesn't only apply to different age groups or, or different genders. It, it applies to different periods of time in our world. And there's no greater example of this than with music. Because music rapidly changes. Rapidly changes. The taste in music is always shifting in our world. I'm 35. I graduated high school in 2005. And uh, I, I've said this before, but to some of you, that's extremely old. And to others of you, that's extremely young. I understand that. And I'm not, I'll let you decide where you fall in that category. But I realized that my taste of music in high school, which I still have today, is not necessarily relevant to high schoolers today. I get that. You probably understand that as well. What you, your taste of music may not be everybody's taste of music, and it's always shifting. But music has been one of the ways that the gospel has always been communicated, going all the way back to the Old Testament, going all the way back to David, going all the way back to the Israelites. 
music was always relevant. So in modern contemporary Christian music, which is its own little niche scene in and of itself, and it's weird in a lot of ways and confusing in a lot of ways, but we can look back throughout modern contemporary Christian music and realize how different it is. So we're going to look at how it's changed throughout the years. Today, the most, probably the most well-known Christian artists are, are bands like Hillsong United or uh, Maverick City Music or Bethel Music, um, just, just to name a few, Elevation. We play a lot of those band songs here at, at City on a Hill. And I realize that they are obviously much more Christian artists than just like the worship artists. Um, but here's, here's what Christian music looks like today. This is, this is probably like, oh yeah, this, is, this makes sense. I recognize this. I have a quick clip. Watch this. This is, this is Christian music today. Watch this. normal. It's like, oh yeah, I recognize that because that's kind of what it looks like today. I know we sent a lot of people to an Elevation concert um, a, a few months ago in Maverick City, which that's Elevation and Maverick City, if you didn't know. They, they were in Baltimore and a lot of people went to it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm used to that. But it didn't always look like that. You probably know this. So we're going to go back. So if you can tell far, <laughs> you'll find out. <laughs> it didn't always look like that. In the 60s and 70s, it was a little different. And it's okay. It's, it's not good music, but it's okay, right? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you love the 60s and 70s. Anyway, there's an artist, a Christian artist named Larry Norman. Does anybody know Larry Norman? That's the good answer. Okay. Nobody raised their hand, or maybe you're just not willing to raise your hand. But Larry Norman, he was known as the father of Christian rock. And you probably have heard... Um, some songs that he's done, but it fit with the times. At the time, Woodstock was huge, right? And this, it, there was a, it was all about hippies and peace and love, right? So there was literally a Christian artist named Larry Norman who fit in with that genre. And uh, it's a song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And uh, you, may, you may recognize it. A lot of, uh, a lot of churches use this uh, with the book of Revelation because it's about Jesus coming like a thief in the night, and it's talking about, man, I wish that we'd all been ready. And it's really a uh, terrifying nursery song to sing to your children before you put them to bed at night. But, um, but it's talking about Jesus coming back. So, so watch this terrible song. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Yeah, so you know it. Uh-huh. <laughs> died, the days grew cold, a piece of bread could buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. See, maybe you recognize it, maybe you've heard it. That was an extremely popular song for some reason at some point in our world, right? But it was, and it was, that is contextualization. It fit in with the, with the, with the world at that time. So let's, let's move a little bit forward in the future, okay? go to the 80s. I was born in 87, 
three best years of my life. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, the, the 80s, de- the scene definitely changed. You know this. There was the rise of hair metal bands like, like Poison, uh, Bon Jovi, Van Halen, just to name a few. And um, all of a sudden, we see Christian bands rising up that fit the culture. Bands like Petra. Have you ever heard of Petra? Right, but not yet. A lot of, a lot of people. I remember seeing Petra as a child. Uh, my parents took me to go see him. And then there's another band called Striper that hit the scene. And uh, this is like legit 80s music. Like, we, I'm going to show you this clip, and it, it looks like a Van Halen music video. It looks like, I mean, it fit. And not only was Striper big in the Christian world, they were on MTV. They actually had notoriety in the secular world outside of, of the Christian world. And so uh, they had this ridiculous video um, of a song called Calling on You. But it's only ridiculous to me because I didn't grow up in this era. It wasn't ridiculous at the time. So watch this quick clip. I like that little jump at the end that he did. But that fit with the times. And I actually have a really interesting story about Striper. Striper is the reason why my family started going to church. I'm not lying to you. So my mom, for some reason, loved that style of music. She loved all the 80s bands. And when I was just a baby and my brother was two or three years old, and uh, my mom got a Striper album and was listening to it at home, and was reading the lyrics, because she saw them on MTV or something, she was reading the lyrics, and she, as she was reading the lyrics, she was like, I need to go back to church. And my dad came home from work, and my mom was like, we need to start going to church. And my dad was like, oh, I married a crazy person, right? And, um, but then, because of Striper, my parents said, we're going to start going back to church. And they started bringing my brother and I to church. My sister wasn't born yet. And, uh, and then everything changed. And they became, they, they kind of went to church a little bit when they were younger, but they really weren't Christians at that point in their life. And so my mom literally wrote a letter to Striper and uh, telling them about how this happened for her. And they wrote her a letter back, and she still has it. So even though uh, Striper is funny to, to, to laugh at because it's just not my style of music, um, they hold a special place in my heart because I don't know if I would be where I'm at if it weren't for that, for some crazy reason. And that's how the gospel can work in the middle of culture. So now let's get to some good music, okay? The 90s. All right? I'm a 90s kid. How many 90s kids? Yeah, oh yeah. You're my people, okay? So we get into the 90s, and then uh, uh, the scene changes again. You know, we see, we begin to see artists like Carmen, who is um, not necessarily like 90s genre, but um, if you know anything about Carmen and uh, that, I grew, I grew up when I was really young listening to a little bit of, of Carmen because that was what my parents gave me to listen to. And then um, there's like bands that started to come out like the Newsboys or Audio Adrenaline or DC Talk. And uh, if you know about the shift in music in the 90s, 
with the grunge era, bands like Nirvana, and then there's like, like some bands that are kind of like rock and rap mixed in together, and uh, I was into all of that sort of stuff. And so one particular band that always stood out to me, who I can still go back, and I think it still holds up, at least for me, I've probably not for you, is DC Talk. I can listen to DC Talk still today. And uh, one of my first concerts ever was going to see DC Talk play. So there's a, there's a particular song that I think, um, I feel like most people are going to know um, called Jesus Freak. You guys know Jesus <laughs> Jesus Freak. So um, watch this clip and uh, listen to some real music. So you can see how much everything has changed with the culture. And we're going to stop there. We could keep going. Like, we, I could do this for the entire sermon, and, and you'd still be late to lunch, right? So, like, there, there is so much shift in culture everywhere along the way. And music changes, but the gospel doesn't. The message doesn't. It's still able to be communicated. And even though some of these videos look ridiculous to us now, they served a purpose at that time. And they were communicating the gospel in a way that made sense to people in a particular place. Contextualization. There was somebody else who bought into contextualization. His name was Paul in, uh, in, in the New Testament. He fully bought into this. And in his first letter to, to the Corinthians... Uh, Paul communicates his approach to sharing the gospel. And I think that this is something that we've read and we're like, yeah, but we don't always do and we may not always be willing to do this. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 6 and then skip to verse 12. It says, says this, am I not free? This is Paul talking. Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us and do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and, and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living. And he said this because he refused to receive money for the work that he was doing. That's why he communicated that. And we're going to skip down to verse 12. If others had this right to, of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So we can see exactly Paul's attitude in this passage. His, his heart should be... The, when, we can see where his heart is when it comes to sharing Jesus, and this is also where our heart should be. What was he willing to do to share the gospel? What was he willing to do for the sake of the gospel? So we're going to point out a few things in this passage and a couple, a couple other parts in, in 1 Corinthians 9. First thing that we see is that Paul was willing to give up his rights. He was totally willing to do this, totally willing to lay his rights on the ground, 
Because he says, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel. See, Paul had one passion in life. His passion was this, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. And he refused to let anything hold him back from that. He refused to let anything stop him from that. He was willing to endure any inconvenience. He was willing to endure any hardship, anything that might enable him to, to share the gospel more. He was willing to do it. Anything. I mean, Paul put his money where his mouth is. He, he was willing to do anything, including to give up his, his own freedom, to legitimately give up his rights. He had the right to eat meat, but he decided not to. He had the right to get married, but he decided not to. He had the right to receive money, but he denied it all for the sake of the gospel. Now, let me also say this. There is nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with those things. I love barbecue, I'm married, and I get paid for this, okay? So this is not like, hey, you have to do this. This is what Paul decided to do in his context to spread the gospel more effectively. That was what he decided to do. He was willing to do anything. And this can really be a sticking point for us Americans, can it? This can really be a sticking point because we, we are raised to demand our rights. I have a right. I, I, this is a free country. Don't, don't tell me how to live. Absolutely, I'm, I'm there too. I, I, I agree with that to an extent. This is really big, especially... In, in, the, in, in the church in America, don't take away my rights. And I don't want my rights taken away. Absolutely not. But sometimes we're more concerned about our rights than we are about sharing the gospel of Jesus. And that is where we get in trouble. That's where we struggle a little bit. Because you don't need rights to share the gospel. You may endure hardship. You may suffer because of it. And there are plenty of places in our world still today where that is the case for Christians. Willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. I wonder how many of our churches in America would be willing to do the same thing. I don't think it'd be very high. I wonder if our church would be willing to do the same thing. I hope. And there's no way of us really knowing the answer to that because we aren't in that situation. But so often we are so concerned with, these are my rights, these are my rights, these are my rights. Don't don't violate my rights. Don't take my rights away. Great. But what is more important to you? Your comfort or helping people know Jesus more? We know Paul's answer. He was willing to lay down anything so that people could hear the gospel. And now it may not cost you your rights to do that in our world today, but it will cost you something. It absolutely will. If you try to to talk about Jesus, it's going to cost you something. It may cost you friendships. It may cost you your reputation. 
It may cost you your money at times. It could cost you anything. And a lot of us are like, yeah, yeah, I'm behind it, I'm behind it, I'm behind it, until it costs me something. Until it costs me my time. Yeah, 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 I'm behind it, I'm behind it, but you want me to tithe? Yeah, yeah, I'm behind it, I'm behind it, but you want me to give up my Saturday morning to come and help put on a spring fling? Yeah, yeah, I'm with it, I'm with it, but you want me to join a community group every week and see people outside of Sunday? Yeah, yeah, I'm behind it, but you want me to go serve in a soup kitchen when I'm not working, and you want me to do it for free? You follow me? Paul always laid it down. What do I care more about, my convenience or the gospel? Second thing that we see from Paul, this is what Paul was willing to do. Paul became a servant to, this is big, non-believers. To non-believers. It doesn't say Paul became a servant to like-minded believers. It says Paul became a servant to non-believers because in, in chapter, chapter 9, verse 19, it says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So not only did Paul give up his rights, but he went farther. He, he, chose, he chose to place himself beneath those he was trying to reach, not above. Because that's what we like to do as Christians. We like to be standing up on our pedestal, looking down at everybody else, saying, these are all the things you're doing wrong. If you want to be like me, if you want to be as great as me, if you, want to, if you want to have all the stuff that I, look how great I am, then you got to do my things. But you got to climb up here. I'm not going to get down there in the dirt with you and help you. I, that's just not, I don't want to get my hands dirty or anything. But, but you, if you want to climb up here, that's not what Paul did. Paul made himself beneath everybody else. See, when we are in the middle of a culture, our tendency is to want to kind of set people straight as the church. This, is, this has been the history. And we, we like to tell everybody all the things that they're doing wrong. And I get it. Because when I read the Bible, I don't just see a savior. That's the number one thing that I see. But I also see, if you take Jesus as a savior out of it, I see the best possible way to live your life practically. That has nothing to do with Jesus being your Savior. But just practical things in Scripture. If you read the book of Proverbs, it's wisdom in there. And there's practical things in there. And it's not all God-related. Some of it is just like, hey, don't do this because that will make your life more difficult, right? So there's a lot of that in there. And so we can read that and we can say, we're trying to communicate to the world, hey, our world is falling apart because we're living this way. And instead of living this way, we should live this way. And I, I'm, I'm with that. But our job is not to stand above everybody else and tell them all the things they're doing wrong. Our job is to jump in the casket with somebody who is struggling, cry with them, pray with them, live with them, do life with them, become their friend, have a relationship with them, put them above yourself even, if you could imagine such a thing. For the sake of that person, we got to stop standing up on our holy pedestal, giving everyone a list of rules. Paul, he didn't try to rule over people. He became a slave to other people. He served other people just like Jesus did. 
what we talked about last week. See, Paul didn't, didn't come up with this attitude of serving others. It's Jesus. It's living like Jesus to lead people to Jesus, which is what we talk about all the time. That attitude changes the game. And it's so refreshing in our world. Jesus and Paul both served people who were wrong. Jesus and Paul both served people who didn't have their priorities in line. Jesus and Paul both went down and washed the feet of everybody else. And here we are, looking down on our world, tweeting or posting on Facebook or whatever about how messed up our world is and how badly our world needs Jesus, which is true. But maybe instead of yelling at people that they need Jesus, maybe we should show people how Jesus has changed my life. And you could experience the same. Servanthood is an essential characteristic of cross-cultural ministry. If you want to impact any culture, you've got to be a servant. Third thing with Paul. This is, this is interesting. I, I really like this passage. Paul lived like those he was reaching. Paul lived like those that he was evangelizing, if we want to use a, a churchy word for it. It says in verse 19 to 23, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law as one under, uh, to, sorry, to those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now there is a caveat to this, which I'm going to get to in a moment. So, so uh, as I talk in, in, in just a moment, you may be like, well, hold on a second. I, I'm going I'm to get to it. This, this goes back to what Pastor Tara was talking about in week one. We obviously live in our world in 2022. And we are in the world, but not of the world. We're in our culture, not of the culture. But if we are so disconnected from our culture that we cannot relate, then how will we reach a single person? How? A couple weeks ago, my, uh, our family, we went up to, uh, to, to um, Lancaster and to Hershey. We went to Hershey Park. We went to Dutch Wonderland. And, um, and we're driving down the road, and if you're up in, in Lancaster ever, and, and I'm trying to say it like the locals, Lancaster, because um, a lot of people say Lancaster. Uh, anyways, and we're driving up there, and there's like a horse and buggy in the middle of the road, and it's because it's a big Amish community. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is uh, a totally different world than anything I would, I, I don't know how to relate to, to that person. I didn't talk to the person, but I, don't, I wouldn't know how to relate to that person. Because the culture is so different. And if we are so different from the culture around us, then we're not going to reach people to join our culture. We're not going to reach people to have an impact on their life. Paul was willing to learn about others, relate to others, and reach others. That's what he was willing to do. And sometimes we get so stuck and this isn't just the church, this is everybody. Sometimes we get so stuck in our little bubble. And we're like, I like my bubble. It's comfortable in here. I can set it to 72 degrees, and it's nice, and I can relax. And I, 
this is just what I like, so I'm going to keep my bubble around me. And uh, we get so infatuated with our bubble and our comfort that we don't have any relationship with anybody who looks any different than us, ever. Like, if you, all of your friends look like you, talk like you, think like you, act like you, smell like you, then there's an issue. There's an issue. We are not called to be monks living in a monastery. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to go in the world to build relationships, to love people. Why? Because people desperately need love. And the only true love comes from Jesus. The love that the world offers us is not real. It's not worthy. The only love comes from Jesus. The only place unconditional love when I didn't deserve it when you didn't deserve it that is available to us and if we are not doing our job as Christians by going into the world and building relationships and we're doing a disservice to the gospel now I, I, I will say too you, you have to have your stuff in order Sometimes we're like, I'm going to impact these people, and then they impact you. And sometimes that's okay. But other times you realize, oh, shoot, there's no difference between me and this person besides I just go to church for an hour on Sunday mornings. That should be a red flag. But Paul said, hey, if I'm talking to the Jews, I'm going to become like a Jewish person so that I can reach Jewish people. Hey, if I'm talking to somebody who is, who is weak, then I'm going to become weak so that I can reach the weak. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, out golfing with a, uh, uh, I've been a, a, a groomsman in three weddings this summer, um, which is ridiculous. And, uh, and so when you're a groomsman in three weddings, it means you have bachelor parties and you have trips and all those sort of things. And I'm always like, okay. I, if it's like all people that I know, then I'm like, all right, it's not going to be a problem. But uh, for those of you who have been at a bachelor party or a bachelorette party, it's like, oh, okay, this is... Uh, some things happen here that aren't always the greatest. Now, if it's like your core group of friends, then it's a little bit different. But um, there's sometimes some bachelor parties that, that you go on where it's like, oh, there's half of the group that is friends and the other half that is friends. And so this particular one that I was on was that way. And um, it was great. Everybody was, was awesome and everyone's really nice. But uh, two totally different lifestyles. Totally different. And I'm always worried in those settings. My brother was there too, so two pastors, a double whammy, and uh, I'm always worried that people who don't go to church, when they find out a, two pastors are coming on a bachelor party trip, I'm always worried they're going to be, like, uncomfortable. Like, oh, this is going to be weird. Yeah, what are they going to, they're going to, like, be judging me the whole time, or whatever, not knowing me. And I was, we were out golfing on this one particular one, and uh, the, one of the guys from the other group was in my foursome, but he was talking to uh, another guy in the foursome, and I, we, I wasn't in the conversation, but I could hear them. And the other guy was saying, oh, do you know these guys, pointing to me and, and somebody else. And uh, he was like, yeah, that's, this is so-and-so, and that's Shane. He's a pastor, but you would never know it, is <laughs> what he said. And I was like, nice. <laughs> I was like kind of excited about that. Not because I was participating in the debauchery people, okay, but because, because I just try to be a normal person, and I just wanted to have a friendship, and I just wanted to get to know them, and I didn't want to, like, 
make them feel uncomfortable. And that's what Paul is communicating here. So here's the caveat to all of that that I just said. Here's, here's the caveat. Paul never compromised the Bible. Never compromised it. It says in, in that passage I just read, he said, to those outside the law, I become as one outside the law. But in parentheses, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So what he's saying is, to those who are not living under the law, I'm going to go and be like them as long as I don't compromise what Jesus told me to not compromise. That's, that's what he's saying. Paul always regarded himself as under the authority of God. Always. The word of God set the boundary for Paul in his life, and he lived that way in regards to how he interacted with other people. It doesn't disqualify you from having relationships with people who don't live under the law of Jesus, who don't, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, but it does mean you're called to live a certain way. When you live that way, it doesn't mean you're so countercultural that you can't relate. You can still have those relationships. While we adapt to the culture around us, we must not compromise the truth of the gospel of Jesus and Scripture. We must not compromise it. And that is the difference between us and the world. But it doesn't mean we can't have relationships. It is possible. It's possible to relate to the culture but not accept the practices of the culture in your own life. It is, it's realistic to know the Word of God, to live it out, to relate to the world and have an impact. It's realistic to do that. Sometimes we feel like, ah, it's impossible. It's not impossible. It's absolutely realistic. And I don't know if we always believe it. That is absolutely something that we can do. So how do we impact the culture around us? First, you get yourself in order. You get your house in order. You get your life right with God. And when your life is right with God, and you know that you're grounded, doesn't mean that you are invulnerable to, to, the, to the sins of this world. Doesn't mean that you won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that you won't fall short. It's not what any of that means. But when you're more concerned about your relationship with Jesus than you are about being popular or relating to other people, when you're more concerned about that, then you're good to go. And holding that at the center of who you are and then going out and learning about others. Not going out and saying, hey, this is all about me. Let me just talk about me the whole time. But no, learning about other people, understanding who they are, developing a relationship with them. There's so many times where people will find out that, that, that you're a Christian, and then they'll think, oh, great. Why don't they just, they're, they're just being friends with me so that they can invite me to church. I get that all the time. Are they only friends with me so they can get something from me? Don't have an agenda. Just love people, for goodness sake. Can we do that? It's not about coming in and saying, okay, how many people am I going to evangelize this week? It's about being in a relationship, being a person, a human, and getting to know others and love others and impact others. If we truly, truly, truly want to share the gospel, we don't always do it with our words. We do it with our actions. A famous quote, as I've shared many times, 
Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. If necessary. But they will not know Jesus because of what you say. They will know Jesus because of what you do. Every single time. So take it seriously. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we close. And I, I pray that, that where you're at, one, I pray that you do have relationships with other people who don't look like you and think like you. I really pray that you do. And if you don't, then we need to find a way to broaden your circle. Maybe get you out of your bubble a little bit. It's not, it's not going to compromise everything about you. I'm not saying don't be you. I'm just saying if we, get, if we stay in our little area with everybody who is like-minded in everything all the time, and there's nothing beyond that, then it's easy to buy into things and believe things that are just comfortable and not actually from Jesus. But we've got to surround ourselves with Christians. We've got to surround ourselves with people who want to pursue Jesus. When you've got that foundation, when you have that community that is church, then other people see you in that they'll see the benefits of it they'll see the difference it's made in your life the changes it's had in you from my experience not everybody's experience most of the time when people come to church or ask me about coming to church it's not because I invited them I'm not saying don't invite people invite people to church but most of the time it's because somebody says, you know what, my life's kind of a mess. I don't want my life to be a mess. And I'm not saying your life is perfect, but it seems like there's something different in your life. And I just want to know what it is. That seems to be most of the time. And that only happens through deciding to contextualize the gospel and communicate it in a way culture understands. Amen. Take it seriously. Accept the challenge. Go forth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing greater. That is our job. Not my job only. Our job. We're all ministers. So go minister. Let's stand and let's sing.